This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Elizabeth Freeman, a professor of English at the University of California, Davis, specializing in, among other things, gender slash sexuality studies. She's written three academic books. There's a little postscript here, but frankly, uh, I don't think that I want to read it because it... uh, I don't know that my audience would find them boring, and I refuse to run your work down for you. <laughs> all right. Or rather, run my audience down for you. <laughs> all right, Fluffer. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all that. Okay, so I'm glad that that's how we began, because I, I think it's important every once in a while to try to develop at least a slightly antagonistic relationship with one of my guests, because otherwise, all we do is agree and say things like, I think that's reasonable. I think you're reasonable. This is so reasonable. And um, that's not to say that I want you to think of yourself as my enemy today, but I do like the idea of um, seeking out ways to bring different perspectives wherever we can. Okay. I'm ready to have that different perspective. (laughs) Well, uh, would you then please be so good as to read our very first question? I shall. The subject is bisexual problems. Dear Prudence, I am a bi woman in my late 20s. I lost my husband nine months into our marriage in a motorcycle accident. The next year, I started seeing a woman. This news fractured my relationship with my former in-laws and several members of my own family. After that, I started to see Kit, a lesbian I met online. Kit made me believe in love again, and I ended up moving across the country to be with her. Our relationship broke down after Kit accused me of sleeping with my married straight co-worker after several late nights at work. I offered up my phone and email so she could see everything. Kit apologized, and we tried counseling. It didn't stick. I ended up moving out and losing a big chunk of my social circle, since they were primarily kits. Right now, the world feels like it doesn't want me to be me. It is just easier to slide into a box everyone can check off and be done with it. The few times I've tried going and making friends in specifically GLBT spaces, I've been lectured that I have straight passing privilege, or the three lesbians I had in my life outweigh the one I had with my husband. I've tried dating again with a bi profile, and I either get the creeps or liars catfishing for a threesome. The icing on the cake was being approached by a straight couple in my biking group who were trying to spice up their marriage and asked if I was interested in having sex with the wife while her husband watched. We had talked maybe four or five times before. I told them I was sorry, but I had high standards that they just didn't match. But they could always try hiring a prostitute. I stopped biking. I'm not trying to one-up anyone's struggles here, but I feel completely alone. Is there something broken in me? So there's a lot... A lot going on here. here. And I feel so deeply for this letter writer who has been through the mill. Um, Like, I I think part of what I just get out of this letter is she has not had a lot of people in her life who have been able to help her grieve the death of her husband. Mm -hmm. Um, She's been through some really nasty breakups, all of which would take anybody a long time to recover from. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's not forget the cross-country move itself. Yeah. A jolt to the system. Yeah. Um, I, I do just want to throw out there, I think the one reason I left that second to last line in there was because I think often when someone feels like they're in a really rough place, they'll they'll kind of turn to like, at least I can get a dig in on a sex worker. 
Mm. Um, and I would just, you know, again, not that this is the most important thing, but like you can go ahead and be like upset or offended on your own behalf without kind of saying like, don't worry, there are women who do sex work and you can kind of treat them as disrespectfully as you like, because uh, I don't like the implication there that like there's a category of woman you can go be um, awful to and and that will take it that burden off of me. Um, but that is a minor, minor note. It is reasonable. I'm sorry to actually say that, you know, since you told me not to, but reasonable. We but, definitely don't have to fight the whole time. Um, I'm reminded, though, of when I thought about this letter, how you can go places where you're not legible sexually. Mm-hmm. And I've had this experience in different cities where some cities I seem to have a certain kind of hotness and my phone rings in other cities. It's like I just don't whatever I am is just not what's on the menu. Mm. And I so part of me wants to tell this person, you know, give it a couple years and then find a better city. Because yeah. <laughs> certainly there are plenty of places where being a bisexual woman is not automatically um, doesn't automatically make you anathema. Yeah. Yeah. I think the important thing is to try to stress like the very real ways in which this person has been given like just a lot of flack for her bisexuality Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to kind of separate that from just like things that would be bad no matter what. And I think are less like losing your husband. That's just awful. Yeah. Um, And then a a breakup with a partner who's like obsessed with controlling you and making sure that you're not like flirting or sleeping with anybody else. That's also awful. Losing friends in a breakup. I I don't know that any of that is directly tied to your bisexuality other than the fact that one of these people was a man and one of these people was a woman. Right, right, right. Yeah, these are these are sort of people problems, whereas the descriptions of sort of encountering people who say you have straight passing privilege or that your three lesbian relationships somehow matter more seem more typical of what biphobia can look like. Yeah, yeah, that felt to me more like, yeah, that is exactly biphobia. And also just like, who does that? Like, what support group or gay bar or club or event are you at where someone's like, hey, can I rank your last four relationships? (laughs) That's why I just wonder if, is it a problem with place? Is it a problem with, you know, neighborhood or community? And since there's no locations given here, it's sort of hard to know, you know, what the writer's previous context was and... What about the new context isn't supportive for of that particular um, identity? And so, you know, my I, not everybody has the privilege of relocating every time they, you know, don't feel legible. Um, but I wonder about, I, I do think it can take sort of up to three years for adults to get used to cities and figure out who their people are in, in a city. And I, I sort of, I, I want to believe that there are people out there who, who don't act like this. Yeah. But then I want to also hold out that like, well, maybe this place is not a great place to be by wherever it is yeah I I think for me like when I look at that last part about I feel completely alone is there something broken in me what I what I see in this letter is of course you feel alone like you've you've lost your husband you lost your in-laws members of your family it sounds like disowned you for for dating a woman after your husband's death and then you had another round of losses when you and Kit broke up and a lot of your friends vanished like the the fact that you feel alone right now makes so much sense to me you have Mm -hmm. been through a lot and so to whatever extent that you can reach out to the friends that you do still have, whether they're near or or far. I'm so sorry to start going into Celine Dion. Um, (laughs) That's going to be a good first step for you and and just letting them know like what you need from them. Asking like, do you have any parties soon that you could maybe invite me over for? Or do you want to like go to a movie together? I'm feeling really alone right now. 
Yeah. Um, in addition to kind of reassessing, is this city the right city for me? Yeah. Uh, is there another city where I have more ties that I could maybe afford to move to? Um, and and also, I think just focusing on rebuilding friendships right now rather than dating, because it sounds like dating has been not something that's been bringing you a lot of joy. Yeah. Does not spark joy. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a really good answer to dating as a bi woman on the apps and and screening for people that you don't like it's having been on the apps as a femme um who was identifying herself as polyamorous it's really hard to get people to, even when you say first line i am not interested in men at all not any of you you mm-hmm. still get so yeah so if this is it, it says by profile so this is app dating and that is not i mean that is i think demoralized demoralizing for for the best of us and mm-hmm. for some populations more than others and so the spiking group, it sounded like a really good attempt at, you know, doing something that was sort of face-to-face and, and might be different and then had a sort of bad encounter as part of it. And maybe meetups, you know, anything that would Especially be, for know. bisexual women. I yeah. think often, at least um, when I have talked to other friends about meetups in general, I've been surprised by when they show me, like, look at all the meetups for, for bi women who mm-hmm. do the following activities. Like, one really great thing about bi women is... Um, they often like love hobbies and activities and they're often very social and they often want to like connect with one another um, often because as you have experienced um, many times other people are like oh a bi woman I'd like to be very rude to you now which is not a good thing I just I just mean the good side effect of that is if you were to search like meetups for bisexual women in your area assuming you live in a reasonably large city you will probably find you know by women who like to knit by women who like to hike by women who like to go to movies by women who like to have a model un um, by women who like other by women yeah yeah and i think that that would be a good place to start looking for um additional forms of community besides just the the friends that you've had but be gentle with yourself. I'm really sorry. I do not think that you are cursed. I don't think that this is your um, the, the way that the future is going to go forever. But you have been through a really rough couple of years. And so it makes sense that you feel misunderstood and isolated. And I'm really sorry. I wish I had, you know, a great answer to like people you thought were going to be friendly and are instead like cruising for a threesome. It's not you. It's them. Yeah. All right. So we're sticking on this theme a little bit right now, uh, bisexuality and like gauging uh, one's response to the world. So the subject here is gauging parents' homophobia. Dear Prudence, I'm a bisexual and largely closeted trans man who needs help navigating his parents' current bigotry levels. When my sister and I were growing up, they used to lecture us about how the lifestyle choices of homosexuals were against God. Trans people were disgusting and going against nature. My mother was especially vocal about her disapproval, and we fought about LGBT rights a lot when I was an angry, closeted teenager. My parents are both, perhaps surprisingly, very anti-Trump, and on a recent visit home, my dad commented how awful it was that the administration was so homophobic. My sister and I were really thrown for a loop, but we agreed with him in the moment, and then the topic was dropped. I always told myself I'd never come out to them to save myself the heartbreak, but now I feel like I don't know where they stand. I want to believe that they can change, but those lectures still sting. How can I probe them for more insight into their current beliefs without outing myself or my also queer sister? I'm worried I'll devolve into an angry teenager again and only stir up a lot of resentment. Any scripts or conversation starters would be greatly appreciated. How about that, Trump? That's a good conversation starter. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was I was sort of thinking Trump's done very little that's good in this world, but maybe these parents having shifted their views because of Trump would be one of very few kind of good outcomes. And 
I wondered if it wasn't possible for this writer to to stick to Trump as the topic, mm-hmm. you know, in order to draw. Right, because that's one of the few out. points that they have in common mm-hmm. is like, we both don't like this. Yeah. Um, and that might be a kind of safe way to um, check in. I do think you say you're worried that you'd have to out yourself, but it sounds like you two, you, you fought with your mom constantly as a teenager. And she at least thus far has not said, hey, are you gay or trans um, or bi or trans? Um, so it sounds like you're able to push back against that idea kind of a lot without either of your parents asking, do you do you have a personal connection to this conversation? So I, I actually do think you have more grounds to bring this up without worrying about um, being outed than you think. And um you know, one of the nice things about being closeted is if someone asks you if you are bi or gay or trans, you can just lie. That's that's the one like fun part of being closeted is you can just like you can lie when they're like, well, are you are you bi? And you're like, nope, straight. <laughs> but then there's also the there it also the Trump conversation might produce little openings like, oh, wow, mom, I'm it's that's such a compassionate thing you said that that makes me feel really good. I, mm-hmm. it, it, it's something that a lot of people that I love would really would really resonate with them. Yeah. You know, you can sort of yeah. slowly give your, you know, where you're not actually coming out, but you're sort of acknowledging and appreciating the shifts that you see and linking it to something yeah. real life yeah. that may not be you, you know, that might move them even further. And, you know, if you're worried that you'll devolve into an angry teenager and you just want to focus on, like, asking an open-ended question, mm-hmm. um, you could maybe try to schedule a phone call or even, I don't know if you often talk with your parents over email. That's another possibility. Um, but, yeah, I think just say, I, you know, I was really moved to hear you say what you said the last time I visited. And I was just a little bit curious about when that changed for you. Um, and, and I think trying to find a way to say that that doesn't put them quite on the defensive of like, you used to be the worst homophobe in the world and now you're not what happened. Um, but if you're you're hoping to open up a, a possible conversation that doesn't begin with defensiveness, I think just, yeah, to start with, it meant a lot to me to hear this. I'm curious, you know, how you got here, what you've been thinking about this, um, what's changed for you. Yeah, parents do sometimes change their minds mm-hmm. and or grow. Yeah. So. Yeah. And they don't always do so by like then immediately realizing, oh, and I did all these things that were really messed up and I need to apologize. Like that might still take a while. They may just very much be in like, oh, yeah, I guess I used to be a little bit against it, but I'm totally great now. Um, whereas you have a pretty clear memory of just how not great they used to be. And that'll you know be up to you to decide when and, and, and how intensely you want to say like, as I recall, uh, you really, really, really were against this when I was a child, and we often fought about it, and that was sometimes hard. Um, and that's okay for you to hold on to, too, even if they have changed now. Um, you're still allowed to be hurt by the way that they talked about um, queer people in the past. All right. Yeah. My, my only other thought there is you get to stay closeted to your parents as much as you would like. If at any point you are planning on pursuing any forms of medical transition— it may be good to at least have like a backup plan for if they notice something, um, because sometimes if you do pursue medical transition, it's not about deciding when you want to tell someone so much as them saying like, you sound like you have a cold nine times and then saying, why do you sound like you have a cold all the time? Um, and then you have to talk to someone you didn't plan on talking to. And I speak from experience. <laughs> so just a thought, nothing you have to worry about right now, of course, but maybe tuck that away in the back of your mind. All right. Yeah. So our next subject, 
this one just to like acknowledge like we're 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 taking a real detour into something yeah. very heavy um and 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 quite painful so um yeah yeah uh subject my teenage son filmed his sexual encounters what now dear prudence my son sean 17 has been filming his sexual encounters with his girlfriend maria 15 without her knowledge my husband rob discovered the hidden camera by accident and we confronted sean together he has shown the videos to a few friends, in quotes. Sean broke down sobbing during the confrontation, but we're unsure if he was actually remorseful or just terrified of the consequences. Rob and I can barely look at Sean. We thought we raised our kids to value consent and to decry sexual assault. Sean cannot articulate why he filmed Maria and showed the videos around. We're disgusted by his actions and sick with ourselves for our failure to raise a decent person. Rob and I want Sean to face consequences for his actions and realize this could include legal ramifications. We will not be parents who dismiss the harm our child has caused another. We don't know how to proceed, though. Contact Maria and her parents? Take Sean to the police? I'm also afraid I will never like my son again. Right now, it's hard to summon love for him. Are we being vindictive? Any guidance would be welcome. I mean, this one has just been, like, keeping me up at night. Yep. Um, and it's just really, really devastating and... I think I mostly just want to start with I'm so sorry to both you and your um, partner. I understand uh, the ways in which it would just feel like overwhelming. And I, I think, you know, at least for the part of you that's like worried about whether or not you will ever like your son again, I would give yourself a lot of freedom there to not worry about that. Um, you can act lovingly towards your son and also allow yourself to be really, really horrified by what he did and you don't have to worry about trying to either hold on to a feeling of like so much as just as long as you are treating him with love and love can often look like in this situation consequences if you on top of everything else try to assign yourself the task of liking sean in the middle of all of this i i worry that you will of course not be able to and then you will be additionally angry at yourself and i don't want that for you yeah, I guess the next person to think about here is Maria. Mm -hmm. um, and we may or may not have the same ideas about how to proceed, but it seems like Maria should be the first person to know about this. Um, and we can talk about her parents in a minute. Right. But that filming somebody without their knowledge is a, is a real violation. Yeah. And that yeah. she should be told. And she should probably be told not that Sean should tell her and then tell his parents he told her, but that, in fact, she should be told with Sean's parents. In oh, the room. yeah. Yeah, I don't think Sean should be having any um, unsupervised contact with Maria of any kind. I, I, I don't even know how I feel about him being present for all of that conversation mm -hmm. just because I would want there to be a lot of freedom um, for her not to have to say I can't be in a room with him right now, but for that to be assumed. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I also, you know, I also worry that, you know, her parents may not have known that she was having sex. Exactly. And I, I, I feel awful that now these parents are in a position where they have to potentially put her in a more dangerous situation. But I, I think that um, you found the camera by accident. Um, you don't yet have a clear sense that he's been able to articulate why he did it um, or what he regrets about it so much as just that he's very, very upset about getting caught. Um, he says he's shown it to a few friends. I think you have reason to, um, you're not at a point with Sean where you can take his word for anything by itself. I don't know that I would believe in your position that he's only shown it to a few friends. I would 
question whether or not he has uploaded. I yeah, would, that would be my yeah the, the biggest and most important question. Yeah, this just doesn't this doesn't strike me as a situation where like he's come to you in total honesty. Um, and so I do think one of the things that you have to take into account is even if you had not decided to go to the police, it may come out um, that he has committed like a a more public crime. Um, and that there is evidence on uh, various websites. Um, and th- at that point, it would be out of your hands whether or not to go to the police in the first place. So that means get a lawyer. That mm-hmm. seems very clear. That these, yes. That you need a lawyer, um, whether, you know, just on hand. And I would say that you need to let Maria know what's happened. Yeah. And then, then it's up to Maria in some ways, right? That Maria c- can say, I want these tapes or videos destroyed. Yeah. Um, and then if they come back, you know, if they've been uploaded and they come back, then that's another phase of this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I would just stress, too, I think the importance of the lawyer is not about um, making sure that Sean can avoid all and every consequence, mm-hmm. but also because, you know, jail, um, prison, uh, the judicial system, that is not like a perfect and, and holistic response to even serious, serious harm, like the harm your son has caused. Um, And it will be important for him to have an advocate. Um, Getting a lawyer, I don't think, is the same thing as trying to make sure that Sean gets off the hook. Um, So if there's just a part of you that feels uncomfortable about hiring a lawyer for him, I I can understand that discomfort, but I also think that um, it's part of the consequences, not about escaping them. Yeah, I would say... 15 is such a hard age. Like, if she were 18, I would feel much more like, yeah. yes, we just talked to her. But 15, I feel I, I could kind of go either way on in terms of, like, do we tell Maria and her parents together or do we tell Maria and then tell her parents? I, I'm not 100% sure on that one. I'm, I'm inclined just, you know, knowing what I know about survivors of various kinds of sexual assault, which— this is this is a sexual violation yeah. to 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 want to want Maria to get to say something about that, um, yeah. and that's why I, I hesitated to take Sean to the police. Mm-hmm. Um, First and foremost, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think because um, I'm not so worried about Sean yeah. <laughs> actually as I am about Maria yeah. um, with both her parents and the police, yeah. um, and that at the very least I would want to start. And again, a lawyer might advise something different and I, I don't have the expertise to really to really know but I would want to start with Maria and say you've been violated yeah what do you what what do you want to do what do you want to see happen yeah. of course there's a chance that not having told her parents in the first place will then put these parents in, in, a, in a position of liability and I just don't have the expertise to right. be able to that to I know think that, is, is why you know? the, the lawyer is good because the lawyer could, like this would be my instinct just in terms of like what would you know, community justice potentially right. look like. Right. But if that would put you in a legal situation where you are an accessory to a crime that your son exactly. has committed, don't do you that. You don't want that. <laughs> don't commit any crimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say consult the lawyer and then if it is possible, um, inform Maria first. I, I think the parents should do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think she should have to find out from him, partly because, again, I don't no. trust him. No, so. um, but because I think she will get the complete picture from you in a way that she might not from him. Yeah. Um, and to really stress both your um, shock and horror, your desire to let her know immediately. Um, if you feel like you can't tell her and then not tell her parents, I think to say that rather than to like promise I might not tell them and then to realize that you think that yeah. you have to. Like I have that decision made before you speak to her. It might be that the conversation with the lawyer has to come first just yeah. to know what you can and can't do legally. You yeah, know, I think you might legally have one. to talk to the parents 
Yeah. So, yeah, boy, that one is... Yeah. And I think at at this point, and again, I realize we're both advising a lot of stuff and then couching it in, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, consult a lawyer. So I'll just say at this point, once you have had those conversations, some of this will be out of your hands. And that will be, I think, at least um, a moment for you to catch your breath and to not feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, which I think it sounds like you are right now. And to, at that point, also seek out counseling for yourselves because you're going through a lot right now. Um, And um, to, to, to spend a lot of time trying to think about, in the long run, what would be the kind of love I think I could show my son that would not feel like making an excuse? And um, how can I do that? And maybe that love looks like gently but firmly pushing on, you need to tell us everything. Um, gently but firmly pushing on, you need to accept these consequences, gently but firmly pushing on. You know, there's not a version of this where he gets out of punishment, but there's a version of this where he can embrace um, not being this kind of a person, not making these kinds Mm -hmm. of choices in the future. And that's still available to him. Um, So this isn't just like, my son will never be a good person again. Um, There will never be a version of your son who didn't commit this crime. But there could potentially be a version of your son who comes to not just fear punishment, but also to hate the action that he took, to not want to harm a woman like that again, a girl like that again, um, and to try to find ways to, you know, make amends over the course of a lifetime that don't involve like, you know, bothering Maria, um, but that involve looking like a life that doesn't look like this. Yeah. Um, costly mistake yeah and again i'm just deeply sorry it's clear that you were shocked and horrified by this this was not something that you had any idea was going on and i know that that won't necessarily make you feel non implicated in this but um to whatever extent you can remind yourself that this was not a choice you made i think that would be good to bear in mind yeah there's a lot of a lot of um we are failures. You know, we did not raise a decent person. And those make a lot of sense as initial reactions. I think every parent would have them. But I'm seeing a lot of really good parental instincts and compassion here. And yeah. I'm seeing good people, you know. Yeah. And I think part of the reason, too, that I would stress, in addition to that lawyer, to find that therapist yeah. and also to find, like, marriage and family therapists mm-hmm. who specialize in, in in this sort of thing is, like, right now you two can't look at your son, which, again, I understand that impulse. Um, I want you, I think, you know, like, other people are not going to be able to do this for Sean either because they don't have the same interest in his moral well-being as you do. Or, or, or simply because they are um, ashamed of him. But like, as his parents, I think you have the best opportunity to provide him with at least a vision of here's the way through this that doesn't involve just alternating between self-loathing and denial and repeating of the harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that tomorrow you have to say like, hey, Sean, we're going to help you heal. Because that, again, has to start with acknowledgement of what he did, the full extent of it, why he did those things. Because he knows why he did those things on some level. He, he, he didn't go into a fugue state. He's just too ashamed to admit them out loud to you. Um, but to try to think about what are ways that, like, even if he goes to jail, even if um, he loses a lot of the things uh, in, in life that make you feel like you have the trappings of a successful life, what are ways that his life could be useful, non-harmful, 
full of uh, moments at least of peace um, or, or, or helpfulness or serenity. Um, I, I, I want and I believe that that is possible for him, even though the road ahead of him looks difficult and hard. I think mostly just, you know, you're not uniquely situated to help Maria get over the trauma of her violation. That's what her family mm-hmm. will be for and then the other people in her life. And I want you to be able to help Sean if Sean wants real help. Do you want to come raise my teenager, Danny? You know, I could babysit. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could definitely babysit. Um, Grace could too. Grace is in the studio nodding like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm glad that we spent a little time with that one. I just, again, I'm just, my thoughts are with you. Yeah. Um, and and I, I hope peace upon your house tonight. And I'm deeply sorry. Um, I, I think it must be unbelievably hard to think about how to acknowledge ways in which your kids cause harm. Um, especially harm of this kind, which is real and and awful. Okay, so so this one will be a little bit on a lighter note. Very light. Um, subject: How do we break it to our neighbors that we've had a view of their bathroom for years? Dear Prudence, when we moved into our house, you could see the toilet next door from one of our half windows. The day the neighbors moved in, they put up a foggy window cover, but not an altogether opaque one. Now, and this is my favorite moment, two years later, we've watched them use said toilet while naked nearly every day when we sit down for a meal. Do we tell them? How? Now, I'm trying to imagine a conversation that begins, for two years, Mm -hmm. I've been watching you go to the bathroom. (laughs) So this feels, frankly, like a rebuke against something that I said when I recorded an episode earlier this Mm. week, which was somebody was talking about something their partner had done that really hurt their feelings and they hadn't said anything in the moment. Now they were worried it was too late. And I did a whole little speech about like, it's never too late to bring up something that bothers you. Sometimes in the moment, we're just so like surprised or startled by something and hurt by it that we just sort of need to retreat and then bring it up later. And that's fine. And now I read this and I'm like, what is the matter with you? (laughs) This is not what I was talking about. Like the time to mention something was two years ago. Yeah. And if you didn't like, I I just, why didn't you get your own like shade for a half window? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. How big is a half window? Just don't look at that half window. (laughs) Just put some, yeah, put up, put your own foggy window cover up or, but not having done that. Okay. Which just, just strikes me as absurd. Yeah. I don't think you then go humiliate your neighbors by saying, by the way, for two years we've seen you using the toilet naked while we eat. I just think that's not a conversation. No good can come of that exactly. conversation. Especially because you, it's not like, oh, we're planning on moving soon and we wanted them to not have to go through this with future neighbors. It would just be like, hey, we've been watching you do this for two years. Let's just continue living next door to each other. <laughs> like That would just make your neighbor relationship so uncomfortable. Yeah, so get a shade. Yeah. Or or move the dining room table or whatever you need to do so you don't see it anymore. And I would just say, say nothing. What, yeah. Like, what's the point? What, what are you trying to accomplish? Get some blinds for your half window. If it is like a, a, a stained glass Tiffany window and just the pride of your home, um, then yeah, move the table. Um, there are definitely, no one is like coming around at 630 every night, prizing your eyes open and forcing you to stare out the window at this bathroom. This is on you. Make different choices. <laughs> All right, moving on. Sorry, I was just so relieved to like have know, a very clear right? one, and I was just like, "There is no moral gray area here." Small stakes, your fault. <laughs> right. I like that kind of letter. This last letter is all you. Okay, subject: Not my dream life. Dear Prudence, I'm in my 30s. I have a wonderful husband, a baby on the way, and a safe place to live. But none of this is what I wanted. 
This may seem whiny, but I feel like I'm mourning my dreams. I've been rejected from grad schools and jobs, so I'm trying to enjoy the life I I never planned. I wanted to live on my own, have a dog, work at an office job, and have a girlfriend. But I haven't been able to achieve it. I've done a lot of work and therapy with my depression and finding joy in unexpected situations. I'm not utterly unhappy. Is it wrong that I feel sad sometimes? No, I mean, very simply, no, it is not wrong that you feel sad sometimes. It is never wrong to feel sad sometimes. But yeah, the it sounds like the life that you wanted is very different from this life right now. Mm-hmm. The thing that I feel the most curious about and the thing that kind of raised the biggest question mark to me was, do you want to have a baby? Because you don't quite say, I never wanted a baby, but you never said that you wanted one and you don't say whether or not the baby is planned and you don't say whether or not you're excited about it. And so I'm just, just want to check in. Do you want to become a parent? Do you want to have a baby? And if the answer to that is no, what are your other options right now? It's interesting that you've, that you've fastened on that because, of course, absolutely true and have a dog is not the same as have a baby. No, not at all. Right? Then then the mind for me was have a girlfriend mm-hmm. as opposed to a wonderful husband. I, That's I, the I, other oh, way the life could yeah. be really different. The right? girlfriend thing was my second biggest thing. I just meant like a baby has a, a deadline. Well, exactly. So, I mean, I sort of feel like you could actually have a husband and a girlfriend. There are lives that will provide that for you. There mm-hmm. is not a life that can provide you with a baby and not a baby at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're right. That seems like the more urgent question. But yeah, I, yeah, I think that's when you imagine a girlfriend. Is it like, and guys are cool too, or is it more like this guy was really nice to me, and I felt sort of guilty uh, for not figuring out that I don't like men sooner? And his house is nice, and he's friendly, and I guess this is good enough. Because if it's that one, and 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 if you're thinking like, what I want is to be with women. I think the sadness makes a lot of sense. I think if you are a lesbian and you are married to a man, sadness might often result from that, especially if he doesn't know about it. And if there's not kind of like a mutual sense of this is part of the dynamic of our marriage and we figure out how to make that uh, something we can talk about. Yeah. And then the other element is the work at an office job, right? So living on your own, you also can't live with other people and live with your on your own at the same time. Right. Um, it, but But, you know, the sort of, there's a safe place to live on the one hand and working at an office job at another and, and the other part of the the sort of dreams I didn't get to happen. So then I wondered, did this letter writer's husband insist that that they stay home, right? Is this a person who doesn't want to be a stay-at-home parent and yet because there's a safe place to live sort of has to be? Yeah. Um, I know that people do decide that there are jobs that don't pay enough to pay for the childcare you have to have to work the jobs. And so they sort of stay home yeah. because that's what makes most economic sense, but it doesn't make them happy. And so that's a place where, you know, if they're if this letter writer is, is looking for certain kinds of compromises, like, okay, I love my husband. I'm not going to get divorced. I'm ambivalent about a baby, but I think I'm going to go for it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, then there's, you know, how do you get out of the house in, and have, you know, things that you do that may not be an office job or might be, but make you feel functional and, you know, like you have adult company. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to be a full-time parent. Yeah. You know, there's just nothing wrong with that. And it may be worth paying for the childcare to have a, you know, if you go, if you decide you do want a baby and go through with the baby to to have, you know, some horizon that's mm-hmm. a work horizon. Yeah. And, and I think really that question of like, is it wrong to feel sad sometimes? No. I think part of the question just facing you right now is um, how, how much do I want to um, base my future decisions on this level of sadness? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I think you learn more about the more you share with other people. Mm-hmm. So certainly the therapist. You know, you say that you've been talking to your therapist about your depression, but I'm curious if you've said, 
I really wish I had a girlfriend or I'm not sure I want a baby or um, uh, part of me. Like, I, I, is it like I want to acknowledge and mourn these other lives that could have been? Or is it like when I imagine the next 18 years of my life raising a baby with this man, do I want to like claw off my own face in despair? Like, um yeah. Gauging how yeah. intense the sadness is when you envision a particular future, I think, might be helpful in terms of, okay, maybe this is one of those things that I just share about in therapy sometimes. Maybe this is something I share with my husband, even if I risk the possibility that he will be scared. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something where it's like, okay, I need to um, hit the eject button with this um, plan for my life. Yeah. And it's interesting, that question about sort of being in your 30s, you know, where you have chosen a life that has, it's not like choosing a major. You know, you can't sort of change your mind tomorrow. And it right. sort of feels like, oh, my God, now the stakes are really high. And and do you, what do you do with the lies you thought you were going to have? You know, and sometimes the answer is, well, you sort of realize that they, you have good things from this one and it's okay to let them go. And other times you think, oh, my God, it's my last chance to have the yeah. life I really wanted to have. Yeah. You know, and those are things that a therapist can help you yeah. work out and think about. Especially because a, a lot of the, like some of these things, as you say, you can't have both a baby and not a baby. Um, but some of these things, you can't have elements of this. So like if if part of the living on your own thing is like, okay, it's not that I don't want to be with my husband. It's just that I want more independence mm-hmm. um, to figure out, again, like, a, you know, if you're close to having a baby, getting a lot of independence can be challenging. But um, thinking about ways in which you can set aside time for yourself each week. If you would like to work, Continue to apply for jobs. Yeah. Um, if you want a dog, um, maybe wait till the baby's, you know, yeah, actually, <laughs> not yeah. a newborn, but yeah. then maybe you can have that dog. Um, but yeah, that bit about have a girlfriend, pay attention to that. Talk to your therapist about that. Maybe talk to your husband about that. Again, often husbands aren't like, oh, terrific. Great. <laughs> I was really hoping to hear that you wanted to be with someone who isn't me. But if it's a big thing and if you think it's probably going to be a big part of your um internal experience over the course of your life it will not feel good to hold this one in until you know 15 20 years later you're like well i need a girlfriend in five minutes or i will scream and scream and scream (laughs) though i'm here to say if you decide you want a girlfriend in your 50s life is good (laughs) yeah it works for kelly mcgillis it can work for you actually i think she came out earlier than that right Oh, I don't remember. It was back in the days when, you know, there was so much speculation someone might as well have been out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had ever been featured on the cover of The Advocate with, like, the exactly. big fake face over your face, talking about the glass closet. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, this is hard, and I think it can also just be hard if you are already deal with, dealing with depression, that sense of, like, can I even trust my own feelings? Yeah. Um, and so if you have found that therapy has only been a little helpful and you have not yet considered um, whether or not you would try some medication that might be another avenue to feel like again not all medications are safe for when you're pregnant so talk to a whole bunch of your doctor um but in the like medium term um considering whether or not that would be the right move for you but yeah if you you know if you as you listen to this you're just like i don't want a baby and i don't want a husband you don't have to nope um even if you know you're you're too far along for an abortion you know Giving up a child for adoption is an option that you have. I don't say that because I think, like, you can just choose it. It'll be fun and easy. No consequences. But I I do think sometimes when we're afraid of making a very um, daunting choice, we'll try to talk ourselves out of it by saying, I couldn't really do that. That's not really an option to me. And it's like, that could be an option. It would be hard. It would be challenging. Other people might not like it. But it is an option. 
And sometimes even considering it as an option makes you be like, oh, now I'm actually choosing this thing that I thought was just thrust upon me because I've right. considered the options and I'm going to choose the one that I originally chose. Right. But it's a different kind of choice. Yeah, I think like when it comes to stuff like pregnancy, there's there's no bad ideas in brainstorming. Like even if you think like I would never have an abortion, just mentally saying I have the ability to get one and test driving like how does that make me feel? Um, and if the net result is like, oh, a little less panicked and a little bit more like this is something that I get to choose, then that was a good mental experiment, even if it was not something that you ever seriously intended to go through with. That's everybody. That's everybody. That's everybody. Did we fix everybody? We we did something for everybody. No, um, or nothing, but we, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but As, we made some sentences for them to, to think about. Assuming they all listen to this episode <laughs> of the podcast, right. which um, they may not, but... I am proud of you. Of me? I'm proud of you. Well, this is a beautiful moment for me because I was a six-year-old who read Ann Landers and Dear Abby and learned most of what I know about the world from the two of them. So this was a really fantastic opportunity to live my dream and my lost career. Oh, (laughs) Oh, I would have liked to be Miss Manners, too. She was another. Oh, she was great. I always loved loved when she spoke in the third person. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. thought that was the coolest shit. I was just like, this... Like, I responded to Miss Manor speaking in the third person the way other people did to, like, James Dean, like, leaning against the wall, having a cigarette. Man, this lady's cool. And those pictures of her with that pompadour, Mm -hmm. right? And the kind of, like, the line-drawing Gibson girl sort of, oh, my God, yeah. I think I just realized I had a crush on Miss Manners as a child. Oh, yeah. It's kind of blowing my mind. Totally. She was my first femme on femme crush, really, (laughs) Miss Manners. (laughs) Dear Abby and Ann Landers were... It was not quite sexual with me and them. It was just a sort of adoration. Not, not until they made the 98 Lifetime movie with Wendy Malick. <laughs> then it was sexual. <laughs> Wendy Malick had a great 98. I think that was around the year she started playing uh, Martin's fiance on Frasier. Um, Did I have any relationship to pop culture in 1998? I don't know. I was like being a beginning college professor. Was that the year not. you had the big um, <laughs> like lube experiment? Oh, no. That was 1992. 92. Do we tell the whole world about that experiment? We don't have to, but. Well, we have a little time, shall we? We got a little time. I really want this on the record. It you was know, such I a want good this, dinner like, party story. I want this to be like like permanently in the record of like lesbian history. So I'm going to tell the story. Please do. So when I was living in Chicago with my ex-girlfriend, AK, well, we were not, no longer living together, but we were both in the city. We, oh, we must have been sleeping together. Or maybe, yeah, I think we were still sleeping together. Okay, whatever, we were lesbians, so it was like that. Anyway, still um, we bought our favorite lube and um, went at it. And the lube had suddenly changed texture so that it was it was long, sticky strings like a spider web. Bah. And it had before been this, like, Really, I just, thick, I just want the record to viscous, show really good. that Grace's face when I said "buh" was like <laughs> I don't know. I consider it. I just so, want the record to show that. And the new and the new bottle was terrible. Like it had a it had a dome top, so you actually were sort of scrabbling at it, you know, with your luby fingers. You oh could, man! And the old one had been just this nice flip top black bottle, said probe, and was this like viscous, wonderful, thick lube that originally was marketed at gay men and the lesbians discovered. So anyway, so the new lube, this same we bought probe, and it was different, violently different bottle, violently different formula. And we thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to exercise our power as consumers? So we had a party and we invited every lesbian we knew in Wicker Park, which I think was maybe 15 in 1992. Liz Fair had not moved there yet and is not a lesbian. But, um, you know, all the girls in Go Fish, all those kind of people were hanging around in Chicago. So so we sent out invitations and um, everybody arrived and we had different lubes in little paper cups with different coded letters or whatever, you know, blind testing. And we had raw chicken in the middle of the table. 
And everybody was invited to put on a glove and get some of these little cups and try the different textures of the lubes, you know, squeeze them between their fingers, smell, whatever they needed to do to have the experience, and then to fist the raw chicken. Ball up their fist, slather it up with lube, and stick it in that chicken and really work it and see what they thought. And then we had it. <laughs> we had a sort of a you know a survey or like a thing they could fill out with the different lubes and did the chicken have an enjoyable experience, and et cetera, et cetera. And then we took these surveys and we crunched the data with some kind of you know 1992 software. I have no idea what it was until we'd come up with some really scientific um, results. And then we wrote the company, which was called Davrion Laboratories, which I think was like a guy named Dave and a guy named Ryan. I kid you not. <laughs> We said, you know, we have this party, we have this chicken. Um, the results are that old, this old probe, which we had an, a bottle of uh, to be part of this um, test, that old probe is vastly superior to your new formula. And we beg you, please, to use our scientific research for the good of humanity and um, bring back old probe. And surprisingly, they did. And they marketed it as classic probe. So as with classic Coke, A.K. <laughs> Summers and I, Elizabeth Freeman, brought back a classic probe. I'm not sure how long it lasted, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure whether they were ever able to make a go of it in terms of marketing, but it really is kind of the only research I've ever done. And I'm an academic and I've been an academic for 25 years. It's the only research I've ever done that's really changed the world. <laughs> so I'm that's just story. looking this up right now and it, it does appear that Probe Lube is still in business. It, it does is. look like they still have the flip tops on the littler bottles. The littler bottles. But do they have a classic probe anymore? That's the it question. It might just be the regular. That's what I mean. One was now. it? We'd have to go buy it and see if it's products. old formula I'm, or new I'm formula. On their their products. What you're saying is that at some point you stopped using the probe that you had. I switched lubes at some point. I mean, or maybe you not have any brand loyalty? <laughs> I don't know what happened. Look, Grace, life is long. If I you think, stick you know, with one brand your whole life, you're selling yourself short. You know you develop a tolerance for it, right? So yeah. I think what happened is that it's you can't it's hard to find probe anymore in I think we used to buy it at Good Vibrations and I, I actually have looked for it and not found it. Okay. So I think Danny that this is the time reflection. this is the time for the probe company, which may or may not still be run by da Dave and Ryan, to send you <laughs> oh, a yeah, bottle. No. DaveRyan.com for yeah, educational. DaveRyan.com, yeah, right? So Dave around. and Ryan need to send you a bottle of the, or, you know, some bottles so that you yeah. could maybe have the same test on the air. I'm always open to sponsorship. Okay. I have a question. I'm sorry. I know that I'm not supposed to be here. but I Hi, just have a Hey, Beth. How you doing? Good. I have a question. Did you just use the same chicken? The same chicken. Because it was chicken. kind of a train. We kind of pulled a train on the chicken. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, that seems like a slightly unfair test because the chicken, the chicken would be you know, you know it the was chicken's kind of to show my, I, maybe we had a control chicken and, a, and an experiment chicken I can't remember I do know that we were really worried that our guests were going to all end up with salmonella <laughs> from having like raw chicken all over them we sort of held our breath for a week waiting to see if we'd done something terrible all I can think of is um, just that kids in the hall sketch that ends with oh lesbians they get so much done in a day it's true <laughs> just truly we really proud. did change the world of yeah. your commitment to market research. And on that note, Beth, I think we're going to have to call it a day and say that maybe that helped someone. I, I really hope that it fixed somebody's problems. I Thank so you too. so much for having me, Danny. Thank you so much You're for being here. You're a beautiful person. It was delightful. It was. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. 
If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you may hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I do think that the letter writer has correctly identified where this is coming from when she says both of them have been divorced several times over. Mm-hmm. Like none of this was said out of a spirit of compassion or love. None of this was like, hey, I'm worried that your husband doesn't seem to be treating you well and like leaves you for hours every day to lock himself up in the West Wing and stare at a portrait of his first <laughs> wife. That would at least feel like they were motivated by love for you, concern about your welfare. So I I think you can just assume they said that because they don't like that you have a devoted and kind husband and they want you to feel bad about it. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.